Our Father in heaven, I'm asking a gift from you that you would help us to understand what is right and what is true, that you would teach us, and I ask in the name of Jesus, amen. What we're talking about today is how to study the Bible. Turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 12. Dan, we'll get to the handout in a minute. Daniel chapter 12, and we're looking at verse 10. Daniel 12, in verse 10. The Bible says, Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And notice this next phrase, and none of the, what's it say? None of the wicked will understand but the wise shall understand. If I could say that thought as simply as I know how. When it comes to the book of Daniel, which was sealed, God said the book of Daniel would be unsealed at the time of the end. We'd say 1798. But when it's unsealed so it can be understood, is it unsealed so everyone can understand it? When it's unsealed, only the class of the righteous understand it. None of the wicked will understand. If my first principle I can lay down is this, there is no method that can be taught to humans that will enable a wicked man to understand the Bible. There is none. I want to show this to you one other place. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. And we're looking at verse... Oh. oh, no wonder that wasn't working. I was in the wrong chapter. <laughs> John chapter 7. I'm searching my mind to see what, where this reference is, because it's not in John chapter 7. It's not in the verse I was looking at. It's verse 17. John 7, verse 17, if any man will do his will, what does it say? He shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Let me see if I can say that thought in a practical way for you. Welcome. Please, you can go around. Yep. There's no video cameras going on. Everything's good to go. Suppose that you want to know whether or not you should keep the seventh day holy. If you're not willing to do whatever you find, do you see that John 7.17 says you're not likely to find it? Let me try that thought again. If any man will do my will, he will know of the doctrine. If we want to set a principle for how to understand the Bible, the first principle is we have to be willing to do what God says. If we're not willing to do it, uh, I teach at a school in Arkansas. And I suppose that it happens every year that some student there studies out some issue related to lifestyle. Pastor Marquise mentioned a number of lifestyle issues today in his sermon. And um, just suppose that you want to study out to see whether or not it's legitimate for you to chew on chickens and cows. Do you see in John 7:17 that unless you're willing to do what you find, you're not likely to land on the truth? Yeah, that's it. If any man will do my will, he will know of the doctrine. 
Okay. I'm going to paint the big picture, and then we're going to start, yeah, just build up this concept of how to understand the Bible. How many of you here know someone who's gotten into some form of fanaticism that is attached to the Adventist church? Whether an offshoot movement or the shepherd's rod or feast day keeping or the God does not destroy or the... So how many people was that again that have known someone that's gotten into one of these things? It's more than half. Now, of those of you that raised your hand, how many of you know someone who got into one of those movements who seemed like a very spiritual, studious Seventh-day Adventist? Can I see your hands again? You know, it's nearly as many hands as went up the first time. It really isn't so that it's just non-caring people who never did love the Bible, that those are the ones who get into heresies. It's often so that it's very intense, studious persons that get into those problems. I went to school, yeah, come on in. I went to school with some triplets and uh, these triplets were raised up as fundamental Seventh-day Adventists. All I mean by fundamental Adventists is that they believe the things that Adventists, you can go, I have a lot more. You can take the whole pile of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. These triplets that were raised in this fundamental Adventist way, their mother, with almost her entire congregation in England, left the Adventist church just a couple years ago. And it was over a doctrinal issue, namely over the issue of the covenants. And um, what I'm trying to lay down for you are principles so that you can land on the right side of every issue that ever comes your way. So you can be fighting on the same side of truth that God is fighting on. So you won't be perplexed when these issues come that are taking people off left and right. And if one of them happens to be the truth, so you can find that out too. Turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 29. 28. Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah 28 and looking at verse 9. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Isn't that the question we want to answer here? Who is it that God is going to be teaching? It says, them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. So I think you have nephews or nieces or maybe you were old enough to remember when your youngest sibling was born. You understand by experience how very dependent infants are on their mothers. Do you see in this passage that if you want to be taught of God, you can't be dependent that way? Do you see it there? That your dependence on other humans for help is going to have, you're going to have to be weaned from dependence on others. If I can say that as simply as I know how, if you want to be taught of God, you're going to have to be cut off from dependence on your favorite pastors and teachers and friends and mentors. Not that you can't talk to them or that they can't teach you something or you can't learn from them. But if you're going to be taught of God, you have to stop being dependent on them. It's those that are drawn from the breast, those who are weaned from the breast. That is, those who no longer, an infant, if you 
feed an infant, he'll be fed. If you don't feed him, he's going to starve. Does that make sense to you what I'm saying? Now, if you feed me, I'll be fed. But if you don't feed me, I'll get food for myself. Do you follow what I'm saying? Isaiah 28 doesn't say that we can't learn from each other. But it says we can't be dependent on each other. If we are going to be taught of God, we're going to have to develop a personal experience of getting food and nutrition from him so that if we're, yeah, I've said this thought too many times, let's move forward. So let's go to verse 10. For precept must be upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. For those listening to audio verse, I'm about to draw on the board and that won't help you at all. Um, I'll do my best to help you with what I say. We could contrast two very different ways to understand the Bible, two different ideas, one of which agrees with Isaiah 28, and the other one is popular among Bible-believing, Bible-loving Christians all over. And I don't want to condemn anyone for having this idea, but I will say, when you understand what I'm about to communicate, that it partially answers this question, why is it that beautiful Christian, Bible-loving Baptists remain beautiful Christian, Bible-loving Baptists, and Bible-loving Pentecostals remain Pentecostals, and Bible... Do you understand what I'm communicating? Why is it that people can study the Bible earnestly all their life and yet not end up coming to the truth when they're sincere people. Has that ever perplexed any of you? You've thought about that? So which should I describe first? Maybe I should just start here since it's in the verse. Did you see here that if you want to be, if the question is who will be taught of God, part of the answer was that you need to be weaned from human dependence. But the next step of the answer is that you must be willing to compare passages with other passages. It doesn't seem like a very profound idea, but let me see if I can help you understand where I'm going with this. The way inspiration works is God would speak to a prophet an idea, and the prophet would write that idea with his own vocabulary, his own writing style. The truth is from heaven, but the writing and the words are the ones that were available to the prophet. You're all with me on this, right? This, this, is, where, this is where you're, how you're thinking. That prophet might not write with words and with a way of thinking that is very similar to the way I think. But the good news is when God gives an idea to Jude, he also gives the idea to Peter. I mentioned those two. Have, have, how many of you here ever noticed the connection between 2 Peter 2 and the book of Jude? Has anyone here ever observed that? It looks like that God gave the very same thought to two men, and they wrote it out. Their truth is the same. Their illustrations are similar. They're in a very similar order. The structure, it's just fascinating. And they really help explain each other. This was God's intended method. His intended method was that if you would seek, that you would find. He said that he spoke in parables because it wasn't for everyone to understand. Those who are here at the beginning, do you remember still Daniel 12, 10? 
it said none of the wicked will understand. So God intended that if you want to be taught by him, that you would recognize that the truth from heaven can be found by looking at the various ideas in the Bible, the various passages that are from heaven. That was such an awkward sentence. I'm going to start over. William Miller, when he wrote out his principles of biblical interpretation, this was one of the fundamental ones. He said that when he would study a passage, he would look for every, he called the word collateral. That is, every passage that had a bearing on the same subject, and try to read them all. And when reading each passage on the same topic, when he could find a way to harmonize them, then his difficulty was removed and he would move forward in his study of the Bible. He began in Genesis that way, and that's how he worked his way up to Daniel. That's one idea about how to study Scripture, is to compare Scripture with Scripture. This idea is often mocked, and we'll talk most about this in the third section. When it's mocked, it's often called the proof-texting method. What's the other idea? The other idea is to take, it's to dig the thought out of the text itself. And in a way, I'm introducing that third lecture before we get to it. But the idea that you can go to, for example, 2 Corinthians 3, and just by studying 2 Corinthians 3 and analyzing the words and considering the structure and putting it all together, and maybe reading some of the context around it, exegesis this way is just trying to pull that idea out of the text. Anyway, can you see that's not the way described in Isaiah 28? If you want to be taught of God, you want to be weaned, and what else do you want to do? Compare. Compare. Scripture is Scripture. Here a little and there a little. So you have your handouts. Take a look at this first page. It's an outline. I just want to run through this outline with you for a bit. We'll look at some scriptural examples. What I'm addressing during this period is the question and the problem of what if you read the Bible and you just don't understand it? I think for a few of you here, maybe that would feel like almost the entire Bible is that way. Probably for almost everyone here, there's some part of the Bible that way. For me, the part of the Bible that's that way most is Zechariah 14. Um, I, do any of you have a clue what's in Zechariah 14? Well, I wouldn't go looking. I wouldn't. I think that every evangelist who quotes a verse from Zechariah 14 in his series, that he probably shouldn't do it because someone might end up looking up the context of it and get royally confused. I want to address this idea of how do we come to understand Scripture? So 1A, do you see there the setting for Bible study? Study when you are alert. So you get up with an alarm clock to have your devotions. And you have your devotions on your bed, in dim lighting, and do you see what's defective with this concept of how to understand the Bible? This is, your brain is not really engaged. Welcome, welcome. You can walk behind me if need be to get to somewhere comfortable to sit, but there might not be any more chairs at all. My apologies. Yes, we have. 
And Argentina, did we run out of these? So at least I have a, a couple of pages for you. Thank you, sir. Yeah, you are welcome. To make progress, I'm going to have to run through this quick. So I'm going to suggest to you, if you want to understand the Bible, that you do some of your daily exercises before you have your devotions. I mean, get up and go for a walk or do your jumping jacks or take a cold shower or do something because God wants to engage your mind. Does that make sense to anyone you follow? Point two, find a private place. Um, I was staying at a home this weekend. Um, I've been to many camp meetings and places like this, and I'll find that people will go out into a common area, maybe like the cafeteria, early in the morning and have their devotions where people are coming in and going out and dishes are clanging around. Does it just make simple sense to you that that wouldn't be an area conducive to you really understanding? Mm -hmm. Jesus, when he wanted to understand, he found private and quiet places. I'm going to give Argentine a few more of these. These are just single pages, but they're at least the one we're going over right now. They made more of those. And then look at 1C where it says, give yourself sufficient time. Uh, payday in Bible study is later, not earlier. And it just won't work out for you to be in a rush when you're trying to understand Scripture. How many of you hate being in a rush anyway? I know my wife hates being in a rush. She reminds me of that sometimes. And um, when it comes to understanding Scripture, give yourself enough time. Go to point two. The character of a Bible student, keep the mind uncluttered by wicked and vain thoughts. Let me show this to you. Look at 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're looking at verse 19. 1 Corinthians 11. W.D. Frizee preached an entire sermon that started with this verse. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 19. It says, For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. If we could say that another way around, God said, there needs to be error in the church. Do you see the function of error in this passage? Error makes unreliable teachers show up. They look like reliable teachers, but what makes it show up if they're not reliable teachers? It's error. That's exactly it. When people end up going the wrong direction, you get a hint because none of the wicked will understand. Have you ever wondered why God gave you an imagination? For many men, I think that they would recognize or they would admit if you found them in a private way that their imagination is the most potent enemy against their eternal life. Now, if you understand why God gave you an imagination, maybe it could become a tool for you instead of a tool against you. 
turn your Bibles to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're looking at verse 2. It says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Do you see in the first part of that verse 2 that you should have more grace and peace today than you had in the past? That the grace and peace in your experience should be on the rise. And how can I ask the question, but is it moving exponentially or is it moving linearly? What a funny way to ask a question, huh? Multiplied unto us. How is it that we get more grace and peace in verse 2? Isn't it by knowing, by knowing God? Now look at verse 3. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. If there's something that you need for life or something you need for godliness, how do you get it? It's through the knowledge of him. Look at verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. How is it that we, 2 Peter 1, 4, how do we get access to those promises? It's by knowing him. That's the whereby. That's the connection in verse 4. It's by knowing God that we get access to the promises, to everything we need for life or for godliness. Do you need to understand the Bible for the purposes of life or godliness? How do we get everything we need to, to, to live a godly life? It's through the knowledge of him. I'm drawing too many blank stares to feel like I'm being successful at this point. Turns me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to do my very best to bind it off. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and looking at verse 5. It says, casting down imagination. Now notice carefully what it says. And every high thing that exalts itself against what? What we just read in Second Peter is that the knowledge of God is what gives us access to the promises. That's how we partake of the divine nature. That is how we have godliness. That's how we live. It's how we have more peace. It's how we have more mercy, grace. This knowledge of God is everything to us. In this passage, do you see that imagination exalts itself against the knowledge of God? And what do we need to do with our imagination in this passage? It needs to be cast down. It needs to be put into its proper place. Turn to me in your Bibles to the book of Jude. We want to talk about the proper place of the imagination. Jude, and looking at verse 5. I will therefore put you in remembrance of these things. I'll therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. 
Isn't that a solemn thought? That thought has, has been solemn to me to think that the same people that were saved by those hailstones and flies and blood water, by the great miracles and that went through the Red Sea, what happened to those same individuals? The same ones that God saved, God destroyed. That truth was true 20 minutes ago when we weren't thinking about it. But when did it begin to have an impact on us? It's when it had our attention. When Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. He never was communicating that truth will do anything for you when you're not thinking about it. Truth changes you when it has your attention. So you've heard about this, a thoughtful hour could well be spent on the life of Jesus. Maybe you've heard this too, that we would do well to often consider the scenes of the judgment. This is why God gave you an imagination. Your imagination is that part of your mind that is a tool to allow you to benefit from scenes and events that are disconnected from you by distance or by time. They're in the past, they're in the future, they're in heaven. You can't see them with your eyes, but you can picture the judgment going on, names being accepted, names being rejected. You can picture Jesus coming back and people crawling, calling out for rocks to fall on them. You can picture the waters of the flood rising. And when you consider these things, that truth has an impact on you that it never had when it did not have your attention. Do you follow what I'm communicating? Do you see in this, in this scenario that your imagination becomes a tool for your will? That is, you choose where to put your imagination? Imagination exalts itself when it is no longer used by the will, but it directs the will. This is one reason why I hate television. I think even if television was fairly wholesome in its content, nice stories of nice people doing nice things, that it would be unhealthy for my imagination. Because my imagination, instead of being used by my will, instead of me putting my imagination on important things, what would happen? Someone else would be guiding my imagination. It wouldn't be under the control of my will. I'm taking too long on this point. I'm going to summarize it and be done with it. If you want to read more about it, I hope you would. You'd find it at a website, bibledoc.org. And there's a whole article there called The Faculty of Imagination. I think after you read it, you'll find that most people have a diseased imagination. And this is a cause of many of our personal and interpersonal problems. So you're still there at your handout. So point two was the character of the Bible student. Do you see that point A was keep the mind uncluttered by wicked and vain thoughts? This has everything to do with your use of imagination. You take your imagination, you use it as a tool, so you can put your mind on pure things. Be a man that is willing to do God's will. Be a man that is wise. Turn back with me to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12.
Daniel 12, and we're looking at verse 3. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. If you change the word firmament there to skies, it rhymes. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the skies. Do you have a marginal reading for wise there? <coughs> what did you say? Those who impart wisdom. And if we've tried to turn that into one word, we might call those... Some of you have teachers in your margin there? That's what I had when I looked. Those that be teachers shall shine as the brightness of the skies forever and ever. My personal testimony, my experience, is that if I learn something this morning in my Bible study and I share it with you today, I'll know it tomorrow. If I share it with someone else tomorrow, I'll know it a week from now. If during this week I share it with someone else, it will go into a long-term memory that might even be available to me in a month. In short, the truths that I share become mine, and the truths that I don't share, how many of you would realize that if you knew everything that you've learned in the last three years of devotions, that you would be a very knowledgeable person? Is there anyone that has that experience? That you just read incredible material, the material is there, it goes in, but it doesn't stay. And here's one of the reasons. He who waters shall be watered yet himself. Have you read that in the Bible? That God, in, God intended that by imparting that you would receive more. And when you begin sharing, if, if God knew that today I was going to share, what's your name, brother? Arthur. If I was going to share with Arthur today, maybe I didn't even know I would. Does God know what Arthur needs? Mm -hmm. And you know, many times God will teach me in the morning the very thing that Arthur needs so that I will have it so I can feed him. This might not sound like an exegetical principle or a hermeneutic to you, but I think it's the most foundational, fundamental hermeneutic for really for Bible comprehension that you'll ever hear. Sharing is God's plan for how you become knowledgeable and understanding of Scripture. I think if you adopt this principle, you'll begin to have miraculous experiences that will feel like this. You will be explaining a passage of Scripture to someone and you will explain something that you've never understood before in your entire life. Has anyone had an experience like that? This is just the concept that he who waters will be watered yet himself. Yeah, you can come in. There's no place for you to sit, but you can come in. Welcome. So you see there, 2C, the first point, by sharing what you learn, you make yourself a channel for light. By sharing what you learn quickly, you can retain it in your memory. That D, you remember from the book of James, uh, a man that is unstable in his ways or double-minded, let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord, right? This is the qualification to that James 1.5. If you lack wisdom, you ask. But if you ask, be sure that you're choosing to believe whatever God says. A double-minded, somewhat believing, somewhat unbelieving person, yeah, doesn't understand. I can just sense there's, we are just not going to get through the majority of this important stuff. 
So I want to tell you, this page is a summary of about an 11-page document that you can find at that same website, BibleDoc.org, that's written out, and so you could get what we won't go through, and I won't feel so guilty about stopping in the middle. Did that make sense to you what I just said? You'd be, uh, Young Disciple Bible Study. Literally, this was prepared for a 12-year-old, so I hope that everyone here can get it. And, um, yeah, Young Disciple Bible Study. How to study the Bible for yourself. Look at point three. We're talking about how to study the Bible for yourself. 3A, memorize. Uh, Maybe you have met someone, maybe you have a mentor in your life that it just seems like that whatever you ask him or her that he can give you a Bible answer. Have you ever known anyone like that, that they can turn? That man in all likelihood has been blessed by this principle. When you memorize Psalm 32.1, when you store it in your memory, then when you're reading Psalm 78, it's very easy for the Spirit to bring it back to your mind. Bible memory is a way to prep yourself to be easily taught by God's Spirit. How many of you read Desire of Ages, the experience of the thief on the cross, the one that was saved? He accepted Jesus, but it's not like that it was all brand new, out of the dark information that happened to him right there at Calvary. Do you know what happened? as the Spirit took the things that he had heard in the past and began to put them together in his mind. And things that had never made sense to him before, suddenly they clicked. Would you like that experience in the morning? Bible memory sets you up for that. You store ideas so that they can easily be pulled out by the Spirit in teaching you. I've said this seven times, I should move on. You can Oh, that would help. He'll pay much more attention to me if you ask a question. Please. Okay, um, I've been trying to do that mm-hmm. by, you know, just memorizing different scriptures, saying it over and over to myself at one portion of the day, but by the end of the day, it's gone. Is there a principle that we apply to, so that it can stay fixed in your mind until, whenever so you need it? what she's asking is, how do you memorize scriptures so, so you can have access to it? I'm willing to... I'm willing to give like a two-minute answer to that, but I'm also going to say that memories are so different that what works for me might not even work for you and vice versa. I would suggest experimenting, but here's some, I've memorized a lot of Bible, a couple books of the Bible I've memorized. What has worked for me is to work in chunks that you can memorize instantly. What I mean is if I said to you, the lamb that has white hair is cute, you could probably could repeat that whole sentence back to me, even though you've never heard it before. Do you think you all could repeat that sentence back? You can experiment in your own mind and find whether or not seven or eight or 12 or 20 words, it'll vary a lot but for various people. How big a section of text can you memorize without any effort? Do you follow what I'm saying so far? Then if you'll work in memorizing in sections that size, let's say that... I divide up a text into sections like that, and I call those A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. How about I've gone far enough for this? And each one is one of these sections. I'm going to say A. I'm going to read it and say it to myself. I can say A without any effort, right? Because it's the right size. Then I'm going to read B and say it. Now, I've already forgotten A. 
there's how this works. So I'm going to read A again and say it, read B again and say it, and now I might be able to say them both. When I can say them both, I drop it, and I'm going to say read C and say it, read D and say it, C, D, C, D, say them both. Now I'm going to drop these and go back, but you know I've forgotten A and B already. This process goes really quick because these sections are only like one second long, right, or one and a half seconds long. And so we, you can zip right through this if your mind is to it. A, B, A, B, C, D, C, D, A, B, A, B, C, D, C, D, A through D, done. And now I'm going to do the same thing with E through H. When I have E through H, I've forgotten A through D. And I think you get the idea of the pattern. I don't need to dig it out. But by working on sections that are small enough that I can learn them without effort, I speed this process up. Email me, and I'll see if I can give you more on that. My email address is memorable. It's canvassing at canvassing.org. Okay. That is it. Welcome. I'm so sorry that there's no room. Well, I'm not honestly sorry that there's no room. I, I'm, 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 but I, I wish you had chairs. That's, I guess, what I'm communicating. <coughs> Look at 3B. Do you see their work incrementally? So I'm just curious, how many of you enjoyed last quarter's lesson on 1st John, or the 1st the and 2nd and 3rd John? Do you know, my wife studied that lesson and she just loved it. 1st John and James are books that are superb for getting started in Bible study. It is a mistake to think that Bible study is so much different than other disciplines. No one is going to start out with trigonometry and make good progress in it. Aren't you going to have to start with something else? I am supposed to end right now, aren't I? Yeah, I am, and I'm just getting started. So what I'm going to do is summarize what I've been saying leave you to stay the rest of this on your own time and then in 10 minutes we'll start the second session in a timely manner and go from there. The summary of what I've said so far is that if you want to understand the Bible correctly you're going to have to be taught of God. That instead of your Bible understanding being de depending on your strength of intellect or upon some scientific methods it's a spiritual thing and if your mind is spiritual, if you're willing to do what God says, if you're, if you're free from dependence on human teachers, if you're comparing Scripture with Scripture, the Lord Jesus himself was willing by his Spirit to teach you. And if, on the contrary, there's a spiritual defect in one of those fundamental things, no matter how diligently a man may study, he will not be able to come to a knowledge of the truth. All right, I'm going to have a closing prayer, and then at 3 o'clock, we're going to start another session and uh, make better progress there, God willing. Let's bow our heads. Our Father in heaven, I want to thank you that you are willing to teach those who are willing to be taught. And I ask for each one here that you would prepare us to be those that are taught of you that we could be those wise ones that will shine as the stars forever and ever. 
And I ask for these gifts in the name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.